visit our custom here in just a moment. But let's break in the chapter in verse number 14, and I'll read down through verse number 20 this morning. Genesis chapter 21 and verse number 14. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And when the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs. And she went and set her down over against him a good way off, as it were of were a bowshot. For she said, Let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called, out, uh, called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. Heavenly Father, or as we approach Your precious Word this morning, we want to thank You for it. And Lord, I appreciate uh, this portion of Scripture that You specifically led us to for this sermon today. And I pray, God, as You preached it in my heart, God, that You'd help us to deliver it to this awaiting congregation. And Lord, I pray that You would speak to my heart today again and speak to the heart of everyone uh, here today. And Lord, may we be drawn closer to You, and may we be better for being in this service today. May we continue to worship You during the preaching time. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I want to preach for a few moments out of these verses here in Genesis chapter number 21. And when you think about Genesis chapter 21, uh, we think about the characters in this text. Who is, who is involved in this text? Well, there are mainly uh, four characters in our text this morning. Uh, there's a man by the name of Abraham. Now, we know who Abraham is. is. Abraham uh, is the man of faith. God came to Abraham in Genesis chapter number 12. He is Abram them. Maze Jackson said after Abram started tithing, God put some ham at the end of his name and made him Abraham. Amen. I don't know if that's the case. That's what Brother Jackson said. And so uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, but Abram was the man that God called out of the earth of the Chaldees. And God chose Abram. God chose Abraham uh, to be the father of the nation of Israel. And so we have Abraham in this text. And then we have his wife, earlier in the part of this text, his wife, Sarah. Now we know about uh, Sarah, of course, of course, we understand that God had promised them that, and God had promised Abraham uh, that he was, seed would multiply uh, the sands of the sea and the stars of the heaven. It would outnumber all of that. And and here's the only problem: uh, Abraham and Sarah could not have children. The Bible said uh, that Sarah was barren; she could not have a child. And so that leads us to the third character in this story. It is the handmaid of Sarah, and her name is Hagar. Now. Hagar is an Egyptian handmaid. Now she is the remnants and she is the leftovers of the disobedience of Abraham back in Genesis chapter number 12. If we were to uh, take the time to go back and read those verses this morning, uh, you'll be reminded that a famine hit the land where Abraham was and he didn't seek the will of God. He didn't ask God what he should, he should do. He just went down to Egypt to sojourn. And when he got down to Egypt, he told uh, uh, Sarah, his wife, he said, honey, you are beautiful, and that's the problem. Uh, they're going to kill me and take you. So here's what we need to do. I need you to put your neck 
on the line and you tell them you're my sister and that way they'll save me. Now God only knows what they're going to do to you. Ladies, how many of that would fly in your home? Sarah sounds as dumb as what Abraham was and she went along with it. So I guess they were made for one another. And so they go along with it and and God reveals uh, that to Pharaoh. We understand that. Uh, But we understand that they got uh, Hagar out of the land of Egypt and that was the handmaid. And so in Genesis chapter 16, uh, Sarah comes to Abraham. They're well up in years. Abraham's around 85, 86 years old. And Sarah says, look, I'm barren. I can't have a child. And so why don't you take my, my hand handmaid Hagar, why don't you take her to wife? It may be that I'll have a child uh, from her womb. Don't that sound like a wonderful idea? And so Abraham, uh, somebody said, well Abraham didn't stop it. Well, I mean Abraham was as dumb as Sarah was and so he goes along with it and just like a typical marriage, the man does what his wife asks him to do and then when he does it, she gets mad at him. Help me out, fellas. Amen. I mean, Abraham did exactly what Sarah told him to do. When he'd done it, she got mad at him. You don't believe that? Read Genesis 16, okay? And so sometimes I feel sorry for Abraham. The guy can't help winning for losing, okay? Uh, But anyway, uh, they have this child between Abraham and Hagar, and we know that to be Ishmael. That is the characters in this text. But notice the circumstances in this text. We understand uh, that they're in the house. It's Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, and Ishmael. But now God has not said that the seed would come through Abraham and whoever else he married, but the seed would specifically come through the marriage relationship up between Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis 21, the Bible says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken, for Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken him. You remember in Genesis 18 when those angels came uh, to Abraham and said at the time of life Sarah would have a child. Sarah's 90 years old. Abraham's 100 years old. And the Bible said that Sarah laughed. Now don't criticize Sarah too much because some of y'all if God showed up to you and you're in your 40's and said you're going to have a child, you wouldn't laugh. You'd cry. Somebody help me. Amen. And so don't pick on Sarah too bad. But you know what? God got the last laugh. Because you know what Isaac's name means? It means laughter. God always gets the last laugh uh, in those situations. And so in Genesis 21, Isaac is born. Uh, but there's a problem. The Bible said in these verses that Ishmael uh, began to mock Isaac. And Sarah didn't like that. She did not appreciate that. Now we've got to understand this. We are still dealing with Isaac and Ishmael uh, even today, Isaac being the Jews and Ishmael being the Palestinians, those uh, who are trying to steal the land from Israel, they are still at war. But God had promised, even though that God, Abraham had went against God, God had promised that He would bless Ishmael. In fact, God named Ishmael. He gave him that name in Genesis chapter 16. And so God promised He would make him a nation, that he would be a wild man, that every hand would be against him, but God wouldn't make him something great because he was of the seed of Abraham. Somebody said, Preacher, why that lengthy introduction? Well, I want you to understand the context of the story and the circumstances. 
What I'm interested though in the verse we have read is the crisis in this text. Now I know who Ishmael is. I understand for all practical purposes of the book of Galatians talks about Ishmael being a type of the flesh, being that was born, the works of the flesh. And I want to remind us this morning uh, that the works of the flesh will never produce the fruits of the Spirit. Amen. And, and we all understand Ishmael is a type and a picture of the flesh. But practically in this text, I want you to see what's going on. Here's a single mom being kicked out of the house with her child into a wilderness. Now, and I know who Hagar is. I know who Ishmael is. I got all that. I get that. But I'm looking at it practically this morning. I'm looking at a single mom out in the wilderness trying to raise a kid. You know what the wilderness is. The wilderness in our text, as it's mentioned in verse number 14 and 15, she's in the wilderness of Beersheba. A wilderness is a desolate place. I mean, when you hear the word wilderness, you just think of nothing. You just think of nothing being around. You just think of, you know, Kansas. I mean, just nothing being around. And Kansas is so flat, you can see your dog run away for three days. I mean, just nothing out there, alright? It's desolate. And then, it's a dangerous place for the wild beasts are out there. And, and there's animals and things that are dangerous. And then, I thought about this, the wilderness is a dark place. They don't have street lights out there. There's not candles, there's not torches lit out there. When it gets dark, I mean, it really gets dark out there. The wilderness is a difficult place. And for all practical purposes this morning, the wilderness is not a place designed to raise children. But that's what Hagar has to work with. I want to preach on this thought for a few minutes this morning on raising children in the wilderness. Raising children in the wilderness. That's what Hagar is trying to do in our text. Here she is, and for all practical purposes this morning, Hagar has not done anything wrong. In fact, she has been obedient uh, to what has been placed upon her. God has had mercy on Hagar. God has blessed Hagar uh, for her part in all of this. Uh, even though it wasn't the will of God, uh, God allowed this to happen in her life. Here's Hagar. She's trying to do right, uh, but now she is having to raise her child in a dangerous place. She's having to raise her child in a desolate place. She's having to raise her child uh, in a dangerous place. She's having to raise her child in a difficult place, in a dark place, in a place that is not designed for raising children. Are you not seeing the application this morning under the world we're living in? I tell you, this sin-cursed world is a desolate place this morning. I mean, it seems like we're living in a dry... Here's what David said. He said, I'm in a dry and barren land where no water is. It's a dangerous place. I mean, you feel like now... you. And by the preacher preached last week, you better keep both hands on your kids and both eyes on your kids. Oh, there's so many perverts and freaks out there. Oh, they like to take your kids and kill them and sacrifice them and put them in sex trafficking and all that wickedness. I mean, you better. It is a dangerous world out there. It's a dark world out there. Perilous times shall come. And we are living in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It is a difficult place. And let's just be honest. There are some parents that have even said, I'm hesitant to have children because of bringing them in a type of world like we're living in. But I want to remind you, it's always been like this. There's two children. There's two children in Genesis chapter 4 and one kills the other one. It's before TV. It's before Facebook. It's before guns. It's before Democrats. I'm telling you, it's still a wicked world because in the heart of men and women, it's never been a good place to raise children. You think Egypt and Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2 is a great place to raise kids? They're killing babies. And they're still doing that. They've been doing that since the book of Exodus. And we feel like we're raising children in the wilderness. There's four or five things I want us to see in our text with these thoughts in mind. 
First of all, I want us to note this morning the parents' inability. The parents' inability. The greatest thing you and I can learn as parents and the greatest thing that we can admit as parents is that we are helpless and we don't have a clue what we're doing. I always find it funny, and I'm not picking on nobody here, okay? But I always find it funny how uh, these parents have their first child. And, and I guess we all were that way to a certain extent. I, I'm asked, I've asked God to forgive me of my foolishness and my ignorance. But you have that first kid, and you know it all. I mean, the formula you buy for your kids is the best formula. The diapers you buy is the best formula. The car seat you have is the best one. I mean, all this stuff. And when you get to the third one, you're just doing your best to keep them alive and throwing food at them, all right? I mean, it don't even matter anymore, okay? I mean, the first one, don't touch him. Don't get around him. By the time you get to the third one, here, take it. Do something with it. Okay. Grace said the other day, you want to hold Judah? I said, nope, you hold her, all right? Uh, but I'm just saying that, you know, that's just that's just how it goes. I love all my children. Uh, but, you know, all these, they, they, all these, uh, they, these uh, i got to leave that alone. But, I mean, they all, all the mothers know what is best for everybody's child. I'm going to tell you something. You don't know what's best for anybody's child but yours. Amen. Help me out, mamas. Amen. You want to have a cat fight in a minute? Get mamas fighting over nursing or, or, or formula, okay? I mean, Lord, you'll have a knockdown, drag out, fist fight. I don't care what you do, okay? Give them goat's milk for all I care. I don't care. Help yourself. Uh, but you're the only one that knows it's your child. And, 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 amen. Uh, that's right. Come on now. Help me out. We don't know what we're doing. Bought that stupid book, What to Expect When You're Inspecting. That's a real blessing. Don't they give you no help. They don't deal with one thing about that. I mean, don't. this is all dumb. And you got all these books on how to raise kids. Most of them are written by people who's never even been married. Come on now. Everybody talk about the Bill Gothard thing back in the day where you go and he teach you how to raise your family. That joker ain't never been married. Amen. He don't know nothing about it. If you, I'm not being rude this morning, being crude, but if you ain't never had kids, you know deadly squat about raising kids. How many of y'all know that term? Deadly squat. That's nothing. You don't know anything about it. You might have ideas, but until it's your... And I'm not trying to be rude or crude. That's just, I don't know anything of what it is about you do, okay? Unless you've been a pastor, you don't know how it is to be a pastor. Unless you've been a Sunday school teacher, you don't know, okay? You don't know until you've been in that spot. But I tell you what would help all of us parents to do is realize we don't know what we're doing. And we're helpless. These parents that think they've got it all together, that's the ones you got to watch out for. They, want, they got all the answers. They're writing the books. They've got it all together. They don't know diddly squat what they're doing. What, look at Hagar in this text. Notice where she's at. Notice the departure, verse 14. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child sent her, and, and the child and sent her away. And she departed and went in the wilderness of Beersheba. Watch this now. As a parent, people you thought there would be a help to you will let you down and turn their backs on you. That's why Abraham and Sarah done to Hagar. I mean, Abraham and Sarah, they are servants of the Most High God. I mean, if anybody's going to help me raise Ishmael, it'll be these people. And what they do? They turn their back on them. You know what you got to do as parents? You can't depend on anybody else. You can't depend on anybody else to raise your children. You can't depend on anybody else uh, to take your role and lead your family. Uh, thank God for Sunday school teachers. And thank God for youth workers. And, and, and I don't mean this to the past, but thank God for preachers and pastors uh, that try to preach and try to lead. But I can't raise your children. I'm trying to raise mine. I'm to preach the Word of God. I'm to be an example to the flock. But at the end of the day, it is your responsibility to raise your children. It's not the school system's job. It's not the daycare's job. It's not the nanny's job. It's not my mom and papa's job. 
It is your responsibility to raise your children. She knows the departure. But then notice the, the depletion. Verse number 15. And the water was spit in the bottle. And she cast the child under one of the shrubs. Abraham sending her out. Y'all still with me? Some of y'all got mad about that first point about you not knowing what you're doing. Okay? You don't know what you're doing. We are going, by the time you know how to raise kids, you got grandbabies. Help me now. Amen. And you're still trying to figure it out. All right? I'm in that same boat. I'm not a know-it-all either. Amen. I'm just, some of y'all just, I, I just, y'all are fighting over, I don't want to hear it, okay? Just leave me alone. I want to go eat in peace, okay? My point this morning is, is the, the parents got to realize they're unable to do anything because if you think you've got it all together, you won't need God to raise your kids. That's where, that's where Hagar's at. She, the depletion. So Abraham, I just had to run that rabbit. Abraham gives her that bottle of water. And she goes out in the wilderness. She's got a loaf of bread and a bottle of water. And the Bible said the water was spent. So watch this now. There are things in this life that parents believe that they'll get their children involved in. If they'll get their children involved in the things of the world, uh, it'll satisfy them and help them. But I'm going to tell you what's going to happen every time. That water bottle is going to run out. That work of the flesh is going to run out. I'm not against kids playing ball. I'm against them playing ball on Sunday. Can I get an amen out of that? I, I hope my boys are going to be able to play ball. If, if their daddy didn't have such a weird schedule, they'd be able to be playing ball now. Uh, but but uh, I, I tell you, I think travel ball is the biggest idol in America today. I tell you, I know parents who spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars uh, traveling all over the country to watch 10, 11, 12-year-olds who really ain't that good uh, play ball uh, every weekend of their life and ain't none of them going to go to the pros. I know baseball. I probably know it too much. Preacher called me last night about 9 o'clock and his wife said, y'all not called Brother Josh on Saturday night. He's probably studying. And that preacher said, no, I know exactly what he's doing. He's sitting in his recliner with a bowl of popcorn watching the Braves game. I said, sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Okay? Amen. I got my studying done yesterday morning. Uh, y'all know college football season's coming up. I'll have my studying done on Friday. Somebody get me help. Amen. Please refrain from dying on Saturdays in the fall. We would appreciate it. Okay? Uh, I mean, and if you die, there ain't nothing else I can do. I'll see Sunday, okay? Especially if we're playing somebody good, alright? Some of y'all need to smile. It's a joke, amen? I, I'm kidding. Not really, but I'm kidding, okay? And so and so there's this depletion and, and, and these parents think they can get their kids involved in all these things. Well, if I get them involved in sports, it'll teach them character. Well, if I get them involved in this, it'll teach them character and involvement and teamwork. I'm going to tell you what to help your kids with character and integrity and teamwork is getting them a part of the house of God. I'm going to tell you what to teach your children character is putting the Word of God in their heart and in their mind. I'm not against teamwork. I'm not against teaching those to be a team player and to be a winner. Amen. I'm not against that. But y'all not substitute our carnal things for spiritual things. It ought not be, are we going to go to church or are we all going to do this activity? It ought to be, we're going to miss the activity and we're going to go to church. Amen. The activity will be there tomorrow. Amen. But the Bible said we ought to go to church so much tomorrow as you see the day approaching. But I'm afraid there's a lot of moms and dads this morning that are trying to live out their dreams and Junior and Lulu, uh, everything they couldn't be, they want their kids to be. Everything that everywhere they couldn't go, they want their kids to go. Hey, why don't this let your kid live his life? Why don't you teach them right? If they want to play ball, let them play ball. If they don't want to play ball, they don't have to play ball. I tell you, parents have ruined sports. If I ever coached a little league, oh, y'all have to come get me out of jail. I'd want me some parents. I'd say, sir, you're 85 pounds overweight. You couldn't even bend over to get a ground ball. Don't tell your kid how to do it. 
I can't stand that, all right? I'm just telling you. And they think they run everything and, we're, and they think their kid's going to be the next Chipper Jones or Mike Trout or they think they're going to be the next billionaire or millionaire because mom and dad's too lazy to take care of themselves so they want their kids to hit it big so they'll take care of them. And we're having fun on Dunn's Mountain this morning. Amen. I'm just telling you though, I'm going to tell you that's going to run out. And what gets me, amen, is these people that don't put parents, that don't put uh, the house of God as a priority in their life, and then they wonder when they hit 18, 19, 20 years old, oh, why you can't find them at church with the FBI search warrant. Preach, I just don't understand why they don't come. I'll tell you why. Because you never invested in them in the early days. You didn't live consistent. I understand children. Are y'all still with me? I understand children have their own free will. We have have parents in this church uh, that raised their kids right and their children went another direction. That's not their fault. I understand we all can do better as parents. But I'm, t- I'm talking about those parents uh, that live in and out, on and off, back and forth, no consistency, no prayer, no Bible reading, uh, no character, no integrity in the home. Uh, I mean, any excuse to miss church, that's what they'll use. And I'm telling you, that will deplete after a while. That's where Hagar's at. Not only notice the departure, the depletion. Notice the distance. Verse 16, she went and sat, sat her down over against him a good way off, as if it were a bow shot. You know what she did? She went and took her child, who's probably 10 to 12 years old, and put him under a bush in the wilderness, and then went off somewhere. That's what parents are doing now. Well, I can't do nothing well, so I'm just going to leave them to themselves. But here's why. Because she, she didn't want to hear the death of her child. I don't want to be disturbed by him. That's what Hagar is doing in this text. Are y'all with me? That's what she's doing in this text. She went to, she goes and she puts him over a good way off as a bow shot. She put him under a shrub. She decided to let the world have her child. The departure, the depletion, the distance. Notice the discernment. Let me not see the death of the child. She knew that her child would not survive without water. The, the bottle was spent. And then notice her despair. Verse 16. And she sat over against him and lifted up her voice and wept. She come to a breaking point where she has done all she can do. She is no longer able to provide and sustain her child. I'm telling you, parents, it help us. It help you, some of you younger parents. It help you to realize you don't know what you're doing. I don't care what books you buy. I don't care what authors you read about raising kids. There is no better book than the one you have in your hand this morning to teach you how to raise your children. Raise them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Amen. Ain't that, ain't that right? You don't know what you're doing. I don't know what I'm doing. If we know what we're doing, why would we need the Bible? Why would we need God? Amen. The parents' inability. But notice the, the personal interest. Verse 17. I love this now. Here's Hagar. She's got to a breaking point where she knows she can't do anything for, for her son Ishmael. But watch this. The Lord regarded in verse 17. And God heard the voice of the lad. Remember I told you that God named Ishmael? You know what Ishmael's name means? God will hear. Amen. Before before Ishmael was ever born, God had already made a promise to Hagar that when Ishmael cried out to him, that God would hear. I'm going to tell you what to help you as a parent. I'm going to help you. With, I'm going to tell you what to help you as a mom or a dad this morning. As you realize, oh, when I can't, there is a God who will regard my children. When I don't know what to do, there is a God in heaven that gave me those children. He gave me that family. He gave me that home. And when I can't thank God, He can. And when I don't know what
what to do. Thank God He always knows what to do. He regarded, but then He responded. Verse 17, And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Not only did God hear the cry of Ishmael, but He responded on the behalf of Ishmael. Aren't you glad we have the assurance that we call out to God? He hears us when we pray. I tell you, help us all to get on our face before God every day and say, Lord, I can't be a husband. I can't be the wife. I can't be the daddy. I can't be the mother. God, I've got to have your help. God, I've got to have your leadership. I'm raising my babies in the wilderness. I'm raising my babies in a desolate and a dark and a dangerous and a difficult place. God, I need some help. God regarded. God responded. But then God reassured. Verse 17. Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad. Oh, and I love these three words. You prodigal parents, look at these last three words. Where he is. She's put him under a shrub. She's put him out of her sight. But God said, Hagar, you don't worry. I know right where he is. I know right where he is under that shrub. Hey, you might have had a child go astray and away from God. But God knows right where they're at this morning. God knows where she's at. God knows where he's at. God heard the voice of Ishmael crying. God heard the despair of Hagar's heart. And God hears your heart this morning. And God hears your despair. And he knows where that child is. Amen. Amen. The personal interest. Brother Brian McBride said, when you do not see an earthly way to raise children, look for a heavenly way. Not only the, the parents' inability, the personal interest. But notice the practical instruction. Verse 18. He gives her three commands. Y'all still with me? Here's the first thing he said. Arise. He said, get up. The command of God to Hagar was not to sit down and quit. Well, it's just so hard raising kids. Well, duh. Amen. I mean, I mean, especially when they can't talk, you can't figure out, is it a diaper? Is it a stomach? Is their head hurt? You can't communicate. It's not, if it's easy, everybody be doing it. Amen. Here's what I'm telling you. Don't sit down and quit. Well, I've made mistakes as a parent. Join the club. We all have. Oh, but get up. Amen. Don't quit. Don't sit down and quit. Don't give up on your children. Hey, ain't your children worth? Are you serving God? Ain't your family worth? You keeping them in church? Ain't your family worth? Are you keeping them under the truth of God's Word? Don't quit. Well, I tried to read the Bible to them. They roll around the floor and they beat their head on the floor and they holler and yell. Don't quit. Well, I try to have prayer with them and, and, and they holler and talk the whole time. Well, tear the honey in up and don't quit. Amen. You teach them. You raise them. Amen. Well, they run out in the aisle. Well, stop them from doing that. Make them sit down. Amen. And listen. But don't quit. Amen. Amen. That's right. I'm going to do like them Episcopal churches and put gates on the end of the pews. That way we can't have no escaped convicts. Amen. And Episcopals, I mean, they don't run the aisles, but their kids don't escape either. Amen. I'm just telling you, he said to get up, don't quit. But watch the next phrase. Arise, lift up the lad. Not only get up, but go too. He said, in other words, close that distance between you and your son. Remember, she's just giving up and quit and went on set somewhere. He said, now get up and go over where he's at. You know your, your children need you? You know how you know how I know your children need you because God gave. You know how I know the Mackenzie, Chloe, and Grayson need you and Miss Leah and Brother William. You know why? Because God gave them to you. You know why? How I know these two boys and these three boys? God's given them to you because God gave them to you. 
Y'all with me? They need you. You just can't give them quit. We got parents that are quitting now. Let everybody else raising their children. Thank God for those that step up and try to keep them in church. But that ain't the will of God. I'm going to tell you, and I'm not trying to be mean or rude or crude this morning, but when a parent does not want to raise their children and take care of their children, they're selfish. And they live for themselves and what they want. Somebody said, what do, what do we need to do? We need to beat them over the head with a two-by-four in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm telling you, that's right. When they live such a selfish... If you're going to be selfish, don't get married and definitely don't have kids if you're a selfish person. You're just wasting time. You're just wasting time. Amen. Somebody said, that's mean. Well, I think it's mean when a parent has to go... When a child has to go back and forth from parent to parent every other weekend because mom and dad are too selfish to work out their problems. Amen. I think that's sad. I think that's mean. Amen. I'm telling you this morning, I'm telling you, get to, get up, get to, but then watch what he said, and hold, the, hold him in thine hand, for I'll make him a great nation. Get up, go to, and grab hold. Don't let go. I'm in the wilderness, oh God. You get up, get over to him, and you get a hold of him, and don't you let him go. Here's Hagar. She gets up, she goes to, and she grabs hold. It's a desolate place. I know it is, but I'm grabbing hold. It's a dark place. I know it is, but I'm holding on. It's a, it's a difficult place. This ain't a place designed to raise children, but I'm going to hold on. I'm going to hold on. Too many parents have let go. They don't even care anymore. They want the party. They want their money. They want their friends. They want their career. They want all this stuff, and they don't want kids. If you rather, you, you can't have a career and a child. You've got to take care of your family. There's a lot of people, I mean, they, they, don't, they don't care nothing about children. All they want is money and retirement. What are you going to do when you get old? And, yet, and, yet, and you're dying, and you wish somebody would come and knock on the door and come see you. You wish some grandbabies come by the house to see you. You're going to wish you wasn't so selfish. People that live a selfish life usually die alone. And this sounds mean, and they deserve to. If you don't like that, my name's Richie Henson. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> no, that's exactly right. If you're selfish, you deserve to die alone. Amen. Especially if you got a family. You don't care nothing about them. The practical instruction. But notice the providential intervention. I love verse number 19. And God opened her eyes. And she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad the drink. Now watch this. God didn't... Boy, I'm at 30 minutes. Will you all just give me just a couple more minutes? I'm almost done. When God, when, when God commanded Hagar to do those practical things, get up, go to and grab hold, He did not show her that well of water, Brother Gene, until she done what she was supposed to do. Everybody's wanting God to do what He can do, and they won't do what they're supposed to do. Amen. Well, I want God to do something. Well, do what you know you're supposed to do. Get up. Go to and grab hold. And when she done those three things, God opened her eyes. Notice the provision, verse 19. And God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Notice the plenty. And she went and filled the bottle with water. When she saw that well, she just didn't look at that well and said, boy, that's convenient. Out here in the wilderness, there's a random well. No, she went and she took that bottle. Oh, thank God she didn't throw that bottle away, man. For some reason, she held on to that empty bottle. For some reason, she still had it. And when she did what she was supposed to do, and when she honored God, how being the parent God told her to do, God opened her eyes and showed her that well of water. Notice her partaking and gave the lad the drink. She went over and gave him the drink. 
and applied it. Gave, her, gave him exactly what he needed. Now, notice the picture. What does this well represent? Well, in John 4.14, it represents salvation. Jesus said, The water I give him shall, uh, shall be in him a well of water springing up in the everlasting life. I tell you, our children need the well of salvation. Amen? Well, to get them to the well of salvation. How that well can picture the Scriptures, the Word of God. Still water is always a picture of the Word of God. You know, in a well, water is generally still. And it's a picture of God's Word. Oh, that well can be a picture of the Spirit-filled life. He said, Springing up in the everlasting life. Oh, that well... You can picture supply because you remember uh, Isaac was over there in the desert. He dug again in the wells of his father Abraham. And there he found a well of water springing up. But I'm going to tell you collectively what that well represented. I'm going to tell you what God put in my heart Friday. I'm going to tell you what that well is. That well in that wilderness is a type and the picture of the church. Amen. It's a type and a picture of the sanctuary. By the way, that's where you find all the other stuff. You find salvation. You find the Scripture. You find the Spirit feel alive. You find that supply in the church. How's my baby going to survive in the wilderness? How am I going to help him get around? He's going to die if he don't get some help. And God showed her a well of water. God showed her a place where she could find sustaining, where she could find supply, where she could find a good drink of water to help her baby survive the wilderness. And I want to thank God that he's given us the church. No, I don't know what to do as a parent. No, I don't know what I'm doing. But I'm right every Sunday. I every Wednesday I can put my family in that F-150 and I can bring them down to the house of God and I can get them involved in the church of God and I'm glad I found a well in this wilderness I'm glad I found a cold drink of water I'm glad I found help for my soul I'm glad I found sustaining for my spirit where did I find it at I didn't find it at the little league ball game I didn't find it down the lake I didn't find it at the blessed family reunion I found it down at the house of God and I dropped my bucket deep and I found water springing up and if my babies are going to make in this generation, I better get them to the well. Your, your children will not make it. Now they got decisions. They'll make it on their own when they get old enough and they get out of your house. I understand that. But you want your children to count for God, they will not count for God if the local church is not a vital part of their life. Are you hearing me? Watch the profitable increase. I'm done. Because, God, because Hagar got him to the well, look at verse 20, three things. He found God, and God was with the lad. You know, how, you know why God was with the lad? Because she got him to the well. He formed growth. The Bible said he grew. He didn't die in that wilderness. He survived the wilderness. And he fashioned his gift, and he dwelt in the wilderness. And it's interesting, the Bible said, and he became an archer. And did not Solomon say, as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. So are children of the youth. I understand what Ishmael represents. I get that. I understand that. But practically, this is a single mom trying to raise a boy out in the wilderness. She can't do it. But God showed her that well. And he survived. Our children are worth it this morning. But we, we don't know what we're doing. That's why it's so important to get them to Sunday school. Amen. That's why it's so important to get them to the house of God. I appreciate uh, the parents that got their young people here. Uh, we had the little kids night. And got your, you, you brought your kids here. And then we had a teen night this past week. You got your kids here. And you bring them to church. You're doing right. And I know it's difficult. And I know it's hard. But this is the well in the wilderness. 
I'd say, ain't it good after being out there in that wicked world all week to be able to come in here and hear the right kind of songs and hear the, yeah, out there you hear all kinds of filthy language and wickedness and see all kinds of wickedness around, but we come in here and it's fresh and it's safe and it's real. What is it? It's a well of water in the wilderness. We are living in the wilderness. We can't, and you're not going to change the wilderness. But God can put a well in the middle of that wilderness for you to get some water so your kids survive. Let's stand raising children in the wilderness. I preach 35 minutes. I appreciate your attention.